Chapter Two of The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties, by Fanny Burney. Chapter Two. Upon reaching the British shore, while Mrs. Maple, her niece, the elderly lady, and two maid-servants, claimed and employed the aid of the gentleman, the incognita, disregarding an offer of Harleigh to return for her, darted forward with such eagerness that she was the first to touch the land, where, with a fervour that seemed resistless, she rapturously ejaculated, "'Heaven, heaven be praised!' The pilot, when he had safely disembarked his passengers, committed the charge of his vessel to a boy, and, abruptly accosting the stranger, demanded a recompense for the risk which he had run in saving her life. She was readily opening her work-bag to seek for her purse, but the old sea-officer, approaching, and holding her arm, gravely asked whether she meant to affront him, and, turning to the pilot, somewhat dictatorially said, "'Hark ye, my lad, we took this gentlewoman in ourselves, and I have seen no reason to be sorry for it. But she is our passenger, and not yours.' Come to the inn, therefore, and you shall be satisfied, forthwith, for her and the rest of us, in a lump. "'You are infinitely good, sir,' cried the stranger, "'but I have no claim.' "'That's your mistake, gentlewoman. An unprotected female, provided she's of a good behaviour, has always a claim to a man's care, whether she be born amongst our friends or our foes. I should be ashamed to be an Englishman if I held it my duty to think narrower than that.' and a man who could bring himself to be ashamed of being an Englishman would find it a difficult solution, let me tell you, my good gentlewoman, to discover what he might glory in. However, don't think that I say this to affront you as a foreigner, for I hope I am a better Christian. I only drop it as a matter of fact. Worthy Admiral, said Mr. Harleigh, now joining them, you are not, I trust, robbing me of my office. The pecuniary engagement with the pilot was mine. But the authority which made him act, returned the officer, was mine. A bright smile, which lightened up the countenance of the incognita, again contrasted her white teeth with her dingy complexion, while dispersing the tears that started into her eyes. "'Fie upon me!' she cried, "'to be in England and surprised at generosity!' "'Gentlewoman,' said the admiral emphatically, "'if you want any help, command my services.' for to my seeming you appear to be a person of as right a way of thinking as if you had lisped english for your mother tongue he then peremptorily insisted that the boat's company should discharge the pilot without any interference on the part of the lone traveller as soon as it had done with the custom-house officers this latter business was short there was nothing to examine not a trunk and scarcely a parcel had the hurry and the dangers of escape hazarded they then proceeded to the principal inn, where the admiral called all the crew, as he styled the party, to the spacious room, and a cheering fire, of which he undertook the discipline. The sight of this meanly attired person, invited into the apartment both by the admiral and Mr. Harleigh, with a civility that seemed blind to her shabby appearance, proved so miraculous a restorative to Mrs. Maple, that, rising from a great chair, into which, with the declaration that she was half dead from her late fright and sickness, she had thrown herself, 
she was endowed with sudden strength of body to stand stiffly upright, and of lungs to pronounce, in shrill but powerful accents, "'Pray, Mr. Harley, are we to go on any farther as if we were to live all our lives in a stage-coach? Why can't that body as well stay in the kitchen?' The stranger would hastily have retired, but the admiral, taking her softly by the shoulder, said, "'I have been a commanding officer the best part of my life, gentlewoman, and though a devil of a wound has put me upon the superannuated list, I am not sunk into quite such a fair-weather chap as to make over my authority, in such a little pitiful skiff's company as this, to petticoat government.' though no man has a better respect for the sex in its proper element, which, however, is not the sea. Therefore, madam, turning to Mrs. Maple, this gentlewoman being my own passenger, and having comported herself without any offence either to God or man, I shall take it kind if you will treat her in a more Christian-like manner. While Mrs. Maple began an angry reply, the stranger forced herself out of the apartment. The admiral followed. I hope, gentlewoman, he was beginning, you won't be cast down or angry at a few vagaries. When, looking her in the face, he saw a countenance so gaily happy that his condolence was changed into pleased astonishment. Angry, she repeated, at a moment such as this, a moment of so blessed an escape, I should be the most graceless of wretches if I had one sensation but of thankfulness and joy. You are a very brave woman, said the admiral, and I am sorry— looking at her tattered clothing, to see you in no better plight, though perchance if you had been born to more glitter without, you might have had less ore within. However, if you don't much like the vaporing of that ancient lady, which I have no very extraordinary liking to myself neither, why stay in another room till we have done with the pilot, and then, if I can be of any use in helping you to your friends, I shall be glad to be at your service." for I take it for granted, though you are not in your own country, you are too good a woman to be without friends, as I know no worse sign of a person's character. He then joined his fellow voyagers, and the stranger went on to inquire for the master of the house. Sounds from without, that seemed to announce distress, catching, soon after, the attentive ear of Harley, he opened the door, and perceived that the stranger was returned to the passage, and in evident disorder. The sea-officer briskly advanced to her. "'How now?' he cried. "'Disheartened at last? Well, a woman can be but a woman. However, unless you have a mind to see all my good opinion blown away thus, in a whiff, you won't think of drooping, now once you are upon British ground. For though I should scorn, I hope, to reproach you for not being a native-born, still not to be overjoyed that you can say, Here I am, would be a sure way to win my contempt.' However, as I don't take upon me to be your governor, I'll send your own countryman to you, if you like him better. The pilot? Not for the universe! Not for the universe! She eagerly cried, and darting into an empty room, with a hasty apology, shut the door. Mighty well indeed, said Mrs. Maple, who, catching the contagion of curiosity, had deigned to listen. So her own countryman, the only person that she ought to belong to, she shuts the door upon. She then protested that if the woman were not brought forth before the pilot, who was already paid and gone, had re-embarked, she should always be convinced that she had lost something, though she might not find out what had been taken from her for a twelve-month afterwards. The landlord, coming forward, inquired whether there were any disturbance and, upon the complaint and application of Mrs. Maple, 
would have opened the door of the closed apartment, but the Admiral and Harleigh, each taking him by an arm, declared the person in that room to be under their protection. "'Well, upon my word!' cried Mrs. Mabel. This is more than I could have expected. We are in fine hands indeed for a sea officer and an admiral that ought to be our safeguard, to take part with our native enemy, that I make no doubt is sent amongst us as a spy for our destruction. A lady, madam, said the admiral, looking down rather contemptuously, must have liberty to say whatever she pleases, a man's tongue being as much tied as his hands, not to annoy the weaker vessel, so that, let her come out, with what she will. She is amenable to no punishment, unless she takes some account of a man's inward opinion, in which case she can't be said to escape quite so free as she may seem to do. This, madam, is all the remark that I think fit to make to you. But as for you, Mr. Landlord, when the gentlewoman in this room has occasion to consult you, she speaks English, and can call you herself. He would then have led the way to a general retreat, but Mrs. Maple angrily desired the landlord to take notice, that a foreigner, of suspicious character, had come over with them by force, whom he ought to keep in custody, unless she would tell her name and business. The door of the apartment was now abruptly opened by the stranger, who called out, "'Oh, no, 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 ladies and gentlemen, I claim your protection!' "'It is yours, madam,' cried Harleigh, with emotion. "'Be sure of it, gentlewoman,' cried the old officer. We did not bring you from one bad shore to another. We'll take care of you. Be sure of it. The stranger wept. I thought not, she cried, to have shed a tear in England, but my heart can find no other vent. Very pretty, very pretty indeed, gentlemen, said Mrs. Maple. If you can answer all this to yourselves well and good. But as I have not quite so easy a conscience, I think it no more than my duty to inform the magistrates myself of my opinion of this foreigner. She was moving off, but the stranger rushed forth with an expression of agonized affright, exclaimed, Stay, madam, stay here but one word. I am no foreigner. I am English. Equal astonishment now seized every one, but while they stared from her to each other, the admiral said, I am cordially glad to hear it, cordially, though why you should have kept secret a point that makes as much for your honour as for your safety, I am not deep enough to determine. However, I won't decide against you, while I am in the dark of your reasons, though I own I have rather a taste myself for things more above board. But for all that, ma'am, if I can be of any use to you, make no scruple to call upon me. He walked back to the parlour, where all now, except Harleigh, assembled to a general breakfast, of which, during this scene, Riley, for want of an associate, had been doing the honours to himself. The sick lady, Mrs. Ireton, was not yet sufficiently recovered to take any refreshment, and the young man, her son, had commanded a repast on a separate table. Harleigh repeated to the stranger, as she returned, in trembling, to her room, his offer of services. "'If any lady of this party—' she answered, would permit me to say a few words to her, not quite in public, I should thankfully acknowledge such a condescension, and if you, sir, to whom already I owe an escape that calls for my eternal gratitude, if you, sir, could procure me such an audience. What depends upon me shall surely not be left undone, he replied, and, returning to the parlour, ladies, he said, this person whom we have brought over begs to speak with one of you alone.
"'Alone?' repeated Mrs. Maple. "'How shocking! Who can tell what may be her designs?' "'She means that we should go out to hold a conference with her in the passage, I suppose,' said Mrs. Ireton, the sick lady, to whom the displeasure raised by this idea seemed to restore strength and speech. "'Or perhaps she would be so good as to receive us in the kitchen. Her condescension is really edifying. I am quite at a loss how I should shew my sense of such affability.' "'What is that black insect buzzing about us still?' cried her son. "'Why, what the deuce can one make of such a grim thing?' "'Oh, it's my friend the demoiselle, is it?' said Riley. "'Faith, I had almost forgotten her. I was so confoundedly numbed and gnawn between cold and hunger that I don't think I could have remembered my father, I don't, Faith, before I had recruited. But where's poor demoiselle? What's become of her? She wants a little bleaching, to be sure. But she has not bad eyes, nor a bad nose, neither.' "'I am no great friend to the mystical,' said the Admiral, "'but I promised her my help while she stood in need of my protection, "'and I have no tide to withdraw it, "'now that I presume she is only in need of my purse. "'If any of the ladies, therefore, mean to go to her, "'I beg to trouble them to carry this.' "'He put a guinea upon the table. "'Now that she is ready to tell her story,' said Eleanor, "'I am confident that there is none to tell. "'While she was enveloped in the mystical,' as the admiral phrases it, I was dying with curiosity to make some discovery. "'Oh, the poor demoiselle!' cried Riley. "'Why, you can't think of leaving her in the lurch at last, ladies, after bringing her so far. Come, lend me one of your bonnets and your fartingales, or what is it you call your things, and troll me a belt round my waist and something proper about my neck, and I'll go to her myself as one of your waiting-maids. I will, Faith.' "'I am glad, at least, niece Eleanor, that this once—' said Mrs. Maple. You are reasonable enough to act a little like me and other people, if you had really been so wild as to sustain so glaring an impostor. If, aunt, don't you see how I am scalding my throat all this time to run to her? replied Eleanor, giving her hand to Harley. As they re-entered the passage, the stranger, rushing from her room with a look the most scared and altered, exclaimed that she had lost her purse. This is complete! cried Eleanor, laughing. And will this too, Harleigh, move your knight-errantry? If it does, look to your heart, for I won't lose a moment in becoming black-patched and penniless. She flew with this anecdote to the breakfast-parlour, while the stranger, yet more rapidly, flew from the inn to the seaside, where she carefully retraced the ground that she had passed. But all examination was vain, and she returned with an appearance of increased dismay. Meeting Harleigh at the door, his expression of concern somewhat calmed her distress, and she conjured him to plead with one of the ladies, to have the charity to convey her to London, and thence to help her on to Brighthelmstone. "'I have no means,' she cried, "'now to proceed unaided. My purse, I imagine, dropped into the sea, when so unguardedly, in the dark, I cast there—' She stopped, looked confused, and bent her eyes upon the ground. To Brighthelmstone, repeated Harleigh. Some of these ladies reside not nine miles from that town. I will see what can be done. She merely entreated, she said, to be allowed to travel in their suite, in any way, any capacity, as the lowest of attendants. She was so utterly reduced by this dreadful loss, that she must else beg her way on foot. Harleigh hastened to execute this commission, but the moment he named it, Eleanor called out, do pray, Mr. Harleigh, tell me where you have been secreting your common sense. 
not that I mean to look for it, twould despoil me of all the dear freaks and vagaries that give zest to life.' "'Poor demoiselle,' cried Riley, throwing half a crown upon the table, "'she shall not be without my might for old acquaintance sake.' "'What, has she caught even you, Mr. Cynical Riley?' cried Eleanor. "'You, who take as much pleasure in lowering or mortifying your fellow-creatures "'as Mr. Harley does in elevating or relieving them.' "'Everyone after his own fashion, Miss Nelly. "'The best amongst us has as little taste for being thwarted as the worst.' "'He has, Faith. "'We all think our own way the only one that has any common sense. "'Mine is that of a diver. "'I seek always for what is hidden. "'What is obvious soon surfeits me.' If this demoiselle had named herself, I should never have thought of her again. But now I'm all agog to find her out. "'Why does she not say who she is at once?' cried Mrs. Maple. "'I give nothing to people that I know nothing of. And what had she to do in France? Why don't she tell us that?' "'Can such a skin and such a garb be worth so much breath?' demanded Ireton, taking up a newspaper. Harley inquired of Mrs. Ireton whether she had succeeded in her purposed search of a young woman to replace the domestic whom she had left in France, and to attend her till she arrived at her house in town. "'No, sir,' she answered, "'but you don't mean, I presume, to recommend this vagabond to be about my person. I should presume not. I should presume you don't mean that. Not but that I should be very sensible to such a mark of distinction. I hope Mr. Harley does not doubt that.' I hope he does not suspect that I should want a proper sensibility to such an honour. "'If you think her a vagabond, madam,' replied Harley, "'I have not a word to offer, but neither her language nor her manners incline me to that opinion. You only want an attendant till you reach your family, and she merely desires and supplicates to travel free. Her object is to get to Brighthelmstone, and if, by waiting upon you, she could earn her journey to London—' Mrs. Maple, perhaps, in compassion to her penniless state, might thence let her share the conveyance of some of her people to lose, whence she might easily find means to proceed. The two elderly ladies stared at each other, not so much as if exchanging inquiries how to decline, but in what degree to resent this proposition. While Eleanor, making Harley follow her to a window, said, no, do inform me, seriously and candidly, what is it that urges you to take the pains to make so ridiculous an arrangement? Her apparently desolate state. Now do put aside all those fine sort of sayings, which you know I laugh at, and give me instead a little of that judgment which you so often quarrel with me for not giving to you, and then honestly tell me, can you really credit that anything but a female fortune-hunter would travel so strangely alone or be so oddly without resource? Your doubts, Eleanor, are certainly rational, and I can only reply to them by saying that there are now and then uncommon causes, which, when developed, shew the most extraordinary situations to be but their mere simple effect. And her miserable accoutrement, and all those bruises or sores and patches and bandages! The detail, I own, Eleanor, is unaccountable and ill-looking. I can defend no single particular, even to myself. But yet the whole— the altogether, carries with it an indescribable but irresistible vindication. That is all I can say for befriending her. "'Nay, if you think her really distressed,' cried Eleanor, "'I feel ready enough to be her handmaid, and at all events I shall make a point to discover whom and what she may be, that I may know how to value your judgment in odd cases for the future. Who knows, Harley, but I may have some to propose for your decision of my own.' 
the admiral after some deliberation said that as it was certainly possible that the poor woman might really have lost her purse which he for one believed to be the simple truth he could not refuse to help her on to her friends and ringing for the landlord he ordered that a breakfast should be taken to the gentlewoman in the other room and that a place should be secured for her in the next day's stage to london for all which he would immediately deposit the money and pray mr landlord said mrs maple let us know what it was that this body wanted when she desired to speak with you she asked me to send and inquire at the post-office if there were any letter directed for l s to be left till called for and when she heard that there was none i thought verily that she would have swooned Eleanor, now warmly united with Harleigh, and begging that Mrs. Maple would let her servants take charge of the young woman from London to Lewes, when, through the charity of the Admiral, she should arrive in town. Mrs. Maple pronounced an absolute negative, but when Eleanor, not less absolutely, declared that, in that case, she would hire the traveller for her own maid, and the more readily because she was tired to death of Golding, her old one, Mrs. Maple, though with the utmost ill-will, was frightened into complacence, and Eleanor said that she would herself carry the good news to the incognita. The landlord desired to know in what name the place was to be taken. This also Eleanor undertook to inquire, and, accompanied by Harleigh, went to the room of the stranger. They found her standing pensively by the window, the breakfast which had been ordered for her by the admiral, untouched. "'I understand that you wish to go to Brighthelmstone,' said Eleanor. The stranger curtsied. "'I believe I know every soul in that place. Whom do you want to see there? Where are you to go?' She looked embarrassed, and with much hesitation answered, "'To the post-office, madam.' "'Oh, what, are you something to the postmaster, are you?' "'No, madam, I—I I go to the post-office only for a letter.' A letter? Well, an hundred or two miles is a good way to go for a letter. I am not without hopes to find a friend. The letter I had expected here was only to contain directions for the meeting. Oh, if your letter is to be personified, I have nothing more to say. A man or a woman, which is it? A woman, madam. Well, if you merely wish to go to Brighthelmstone, I'll get you conveyed within nine miles of that place, if you will come to me at Mrs. Maple's, in Upper Brook Street, when you get to town. Surprise and pleasure now beamed brightly in the eyes of the stranger, who said that she should rejoice to pass through London, where, also, she particularly desired to make some inquiries. But we have no means for carrying you thither except by the stage, and one of our gentlemen offers to take a place in it for you. The stranger looked towards Harleigh, and confusion seemed added to her embarrassment. Harleigh hastily spoke. It is the old officer, that truly benevolent veteran, who wishes to serve you, and whose services, from the nobleness of his character, confer still more honour than benefit. Again she curtsied, and with an air in which Harleigh observed, with respect, not displeasure, her satisfaction in changing the object of this obligation. "'Well, that's settled,' said Eleanor. "'But now the landlord wants your name for taking your place.' "'My place? Is there no machine, madam, that sets off immediately?' "'None sooner than to-morrow. What name am I to tell him?' "'None sooner than to-morrow.' "'No, and if you do not give in your name and secure it, you may be detained till the next day.' 
how very unfortunate cried she walking about the room well but what is your name a crimson of the deepest hue forced its way through her dark complexion her very eyes reddened with blushes as she faintly answered i cannot tell my name she turned suddenly away with a look that seemed to expect resentment and anticipate being abandoned elinor however only laughed but laughed in such a sort as proclaimed triumph over harleigh and contempt for the stranger harleigh drew elinor apart saying can this really appear to you so ridiculous and can you really harleigh be allured by so glaring an adventurer a wanderer without even a name she is not at least without probity since she prefers any risk and any suspicion to falsehood how easily otherwise might she assume any appellation that she pleased you are certainly bewitched harleigh you are certainly mistaken elinor yet i cannot desert her till i am convinced that she does not merit to be protected elinor returned to the stranger you do not choose then to have your place secured oh yes madam if it is impossible for me to attend any lady to town and what name shall you like for the bookkeeper or what initials what think you of l s she started and harleigh again taking elinor aside more gravely said elinor i am glad i am not at this moment my brother for certainly i could not forbear quarrelling with you i heartily wish then cried she with quickness that at this moment you were your brother harleigh now addressing the stranger in whose air and manner distress seemed palpably gaining ground gently said to save you any further trouble i will take a place in my own name and settle with the landlord that if i do not appear to claim it it is to be made over to the person who produces this card the bookkeeper shall have such another for a check he put into her hand a visiting ticket on which was engraven mr harleigh and not waiting for her thanks conducted elinor back to the parlour saying pardon me elinor that i have stopped any further inquiries it is not from a romantic admiration of mystery but merely from an opinion that as her wish of concealment is open and confessed we ought not through any medium of serving her to entangle her into the snares of our curiosity oh you are decided to be always right i know cried elinor laughing though picked and that is the very reason i always hate you however you excite my curiosity to fathom her so let her come to me in town and i'll take her under my own care if only to judge your discernment by finding out how she merits your quixotism harleigh then returned to the young woman and hesitatingly said pardon my intrusion but permit me as you have so unfortunately lost your purse if my place sir hastily interrupted the stranger is taken i can require nothing else yet you have the day to pass here and you will with difficulty exist merely upon air even where so delightedly you inhale it and miss jodrell i fear has forgotten to bring you the little offering of your veteran friend therefore if he has the infinite goodness to intend me any sir permit at least that he may be my only pecuniary creditor i shall want no addition of that sort to remember gratefully and for ever to whom it is i owe the deepest obligation of my life is this a housemaid thought harleigh and again he rejoiced in the perseverance with which he had supported her and too much respecting her refusal to dispute it expressed his good wishes for her welfare and took leave yet would not set out upon his journey 
till he had again sought to interest the old officer in her favour. The guinea was still upon the tea-table, but the admiral, who, in the fear of double-dealing, had conceived some ideas as to the disadvantage of the incognita, no sooner heard that she had declined receiving any succour except from himself, than, immediately softened, he said that he would take care to see her well treated. Harleigh then drove after the carriage of Mrs. Maple and Eleanor, who were already on their way to London. End of chapter 2 Recording by Roxana Nazari